0: Living a well-balanced lifestyle goes beyond ensuring your finances are in order. Welcome to Keeping the Well in Wealthy with Barbara Archer from Hightower. Barbara speaks with wellness industry leaders and related professionals to share more than financial planning advice. She addresses your questions about living a healthy lifestyle at any age. Learn how to gracefully maneuver life's challenges with support and resources to guide you along the way. Barbara and the team at Hightower help you make a plan, make an investment, and make a difference in your own wealth and well-being, and in your families, and within your community. Thank you for listening to Keeping the Well in Wealthy with Barbara Archer, sponsored by Hightower. Now, on to the show.
1: Hello and welcome to Keeping the Well in Wealthy with your host, Barbara Archer from Hightower. Barbara, how are you?
2: I am terrific today. How are you, Eric?
1: I am I'm doing great. It was so Are good you? to see you this morning. I know the audience is this is an audio podcast. One one of these days there's probably gonna be some video on YouTube. We'll, we'll we'll tell you when that happens. But it's good to see Barbara, I'm telling you.
2: Well, it's always good to see you. And I'm glad you're doing well because I have a tough question for you here. Now, have you, you always have, a, you always have a tough question for me. I, I love it. But Hopefully. have you ever had a toothache?
1: Never in my life. I'm kidding. No. Yes, absolutely. Oh. And it is one of the worst things. Ever. I mean, honestly, it's maybe I'm a big baby, but man, when when I've had a tooth that is that has had a problem, it's just, it radiates, right?
2: Yeah. It just huh. doesn't stop. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you will be not surprised to know then that one in four adults between 20 to 64 have cavities. Hmm. And by age eight, over half of our children in the U.S. have had a cavity in their baby teeth. So, If they had been drinking fluoridated water or using dental sealants on their baby teeth, that could have been helpful and saved some time and money and maybe a little pain on dental care. Hmm. So, I mean, I had no idea, but, you know, when we think about fluoridated water, that was relatively new when I was a child, and apparently it's pretty helpful. But here are some other surprising numbers. On average, 34 million school hours are lost each year because of unplanned or emergency dental care. And over forty-five billion dollars is lost in U.S. productivity due to untreated dental disease. How about yeah. that? That's a big wow. number. That's a huge forty-five number. billion. So, neglecting our oral health can not only be painful but very expensive. So, we all like to have really pretty white, healthy teeth. Nice for our smiles, for ease of speaking, for our biting and chewing to enjoy our food. So today we're going to find out more about how to keep our mouths healthy, which impact our overall health and to understand some of the pitfalls, or should I say cavities of not caring for mm. our teeth properly. So Eric, as we learn more from our guest today don't grind your teeth in anticipation of asking some closing questions. And we'll talk soon. And I know you're smiling big, but no one can see you right now.
1: That's right. I'm smiling big. And I want you to know that my mom set me up for success because she washed my mouth out with soap often.
2: Oh my gosh.
1: (laughs) All right. Have a good interview. All
2: right. Talk soon. Well, I'm pleased to introduce Dr. Martina Bertolini. Dr. Martina Bertolini, DDS, MSc, PhD, is a clinician, scientist, educator, currently teaching periodontal students as an assistant professor at the University of Pittsburgh. She is a diplomat of the American Academy of Periodontology, having specialties in both prosthodontics and periodontics, with a PhD focus in oral microbiology. Dr. Bertolini has published over 40 peer-reviewed articles in professional journals and serves as a reviewer for multiple international journals, and she is a scientific consultant for the New York Times, Consumers Report, and NBC Health News in related media on dentistry and oral health topics. Martina is acclaimed nationally and internationally as a lecturer and has achieved many professional awards, acknowledging her many gifts- from researcher to educator. So Martina, welcome and thank you for joining us today to address oral health.
3: Hi, Barbara. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and I look forward to our conversation.
2: Well, we have plenty to cover, but I have a first question for you. And since you have two master's degrees, a PhD, and are a doctor of dental science, what drove you to pursue such a deep as well as broad experience and An interesting background
3: in oral health? Well, this is a great question. I think I ask myself the same question every day. (laughs) And I think it's mostly regarding how we can better treat and assist our patients. So I start with my specialty programs, and then I saw the need to have a deeper understanding. So I went for my master's degrees, and then I start to want to know. Everything in detail regarding their oral health and what's better to do as a PAG, looking into the bacteria that it's in our mouths. So after years of training, now I'm trying to create a new path for the next generation of dentists and stimulate them to also go for a very in-depth training.
2: Oh, that sounds wonderful. So since you have so much background, everything from the microbiology of the mouth to, as I read about you, some dental implant professionalism in there too. How has dentistry evolved over the years?
3: This is a great question. So I think we can look at this uh, from both sides and me having a PhD, I would always look in the research side, but also in the clinical side that really helps the patients. So clinically, I think what changed the most in the past couple of years is everything now in dentistry can be done digital. And Mm. this wasn't possible when I was doing my first residency like 10 years ago. So the impressions that we put the gooey material in the mouth and no (laughs) patient likes to do that. Nowadays, all that can be done digital. So from the starting to the treatment until the end, we have a lot to do into digital planning nowadays. And I think this is one of the greatest advance that I would see in the last years. And from the research side until very recent, we didn't have a way to really know which bacteria we have in the mouth, where they are located in the teeth, in the tongue. So similar when we have the genome project that it was mapping the whole human genome, Very recently, we have the same one for the microbiome project, which are mapping all the bacteria that we have in our mouth. So I would say nowadays we have a much bigger understanding of what bacteria are there, which ones are the good guys and which ones are the bad guys.
2: Oh, that sounds very interesting. I did study bacteriology in college, so I'm always fascinated with the good bugs and the bad bugs there. So, you know, I did ask Eric about cavities. So I have a question, real basic. Since people drink more bottled water now, do they miss the fluoride? And do you see that there are more cavities now?
3: So this is something that very recently changed in the US. So we from 2019, it was published a rule that actually the bottled waters have to have fluoride. So now the fluoride is present also in the bottle of waters, So you are getting fluoride even if you are drinking those, because I know not every state you can drink from the tap. And this is one of the reasons that they change it. But importantly, all the foods that you cook in the water also absorb some of this fluoride. So you would be ingesting and have access to it through the food. And I think nowadays, most of us also use fluoridated toothpaste, which really helps to help preventing the caries. So you have many different fronts that would be providing you fluoride than other than the tap water. Well, that's fascinating because I didn't realize just
2: by ingesting the fluoride from foods that have been cooked in fluoridated water,
3: that can be beneficial as well. It comes back in your saliva. So that's like the magic that it happens in the mouth because we have saliva all the time. The fluoride comes back to you in the saliva and it bathes your teeth.
2: It's fascinating. So should we get fluoridation applications when we go to the dentist or if we're drinking plenty of water and cooking our foods in fluoridated water, is that enough?
3: So I would also add the toothpaste that has the fluoride. Uh, Yes, the toothpaste. But very important, the fluoridation in the dentist is for the young kids because we know they don't brush very well, or sometimes the diet has more sugar that would lead to caries. So, for sure, in the kids' stage, the fluoridation is recommended. But as you grow older and now you have more dexterity, you're brushing better, you're flossing better, not necessarily would need unless you don't have saliva very light, very high saliva flow. So patients that have medications that reduce their salivary flow will tend to have more caries. Or patients that have some sort of disease like Sjogren's syndrome, they have less salivary flow, we would see they have more caries. So
2: So it is important.
3: that would recommend to have the fluoride when they visit the dentist for sure.
2: Well, so it is important that your dentist knows your health history as well then. So that helps them make those decisions.
3: Yes, educations anything.
2: In my office yesterday, we had a young woman who was talking about having her wisdom teeth out. So I have a question about wisdom teeth. They don't seem so smart. So is it still recommended to have them pulled around 18 to 20 years old? And If so, why or why not?
3: Actually, they seem smart, the wisdom teeth, because more recently we have more people that do not have those teeth anymore. So in the what? past, Wait a minute. everybody would have four of these yes. teeth, teeth. And yes. nowadays in the young generations, it's very common for them to just have one or two. So evolution oh has been kicking in a way that it's not needed anymore. And many young patients do not have all of them. I only had two
0: And my brother didn't have
3: any. And I see on younger patients, more and more, they don't have the wisdom teeth. But if you do have, we still recommend them to be taken out because also through evolution, our jaws are becoming smaller. So in many patients, they do not have space to grow. And they just cause issues. They cause pain. They can push your teeth to the front as they come out. So they're still recommended to be removed if you think you're not going to have this space in your auto cavity, in the jaw, for them to erupt.
2: Oh, well, thank you for that. But it's fascinating, too, that you're telling us that fewer and fewer people have all four wisdom teeth. That's Mm -hmm. just, I guess, evolution. Maybe we are getting smarter, or our wisdom teeth are. So talking about just cavities and wisdom teeth and the dentist getting into your mouth. I know a lot of people have anxiety about dental visits. Is there a way that you as a professional can recommend we can overcome that anxiety?
3: Yeah, so there are many ways to overcome this anxiety. And of course, the medication way is very well known. Like you can get sedation, you can have medications that will make you more sleepy during a specific appointment. But what we really recommend is for you to have an open conversation with the patient in a way that the patient understand what needs to be done and how that will be done. So if the patient knows exactly what to expect for each dental visit, this alone can reduce the anxiety a lot. Because I think most of the anxiety coming from the fear of the unknown, they don't know (laughs) if they're coming in for a surgery. They don't know if the procedure is going to hurt. They don't know how the recovery time could be. So uh, open communication is always the first line that we have to really make the patient feel comfortable. And then with that, you can offer anything in your office that can make the patient feel comfortable. Does the patient like music? We can put some music to be playing on the day off. Mm. Does the patient have any specific requests of even the flavor of the numbing jelly that we're going to use it. Some patients like to make sure it's nice and minty. Some patients like to make sure it's a strawberry flavor. So they start with a good experience before we even start the procedure.
2: And I didn't know we had a choice on that. Good to
3: know. (laughs) There are many flavors, yes. So I like to ask, so the patients also feel in control. So if they feel they are in control of everything that will happen during the visit, This alone makes the anxiety decrease.
2: Well, sure. Communication helps a lot. I guess understanding that would be, that would maybe make the grip on the armrest a little less grippy.
3: (laughs) Yes. And then, of course, if it's still after that, the patient says, you know, I'm still really nervous for coming surgery, then we can think of the laughing gas that can make them more relaxed. Or we can think of other sedations that would include medications, even oral or in the veins. But this is always some secondary thing that we think about. First, we want to make sure we can reduce the patient anxiety just by understanding what's going on.
2: Well, and some people just even coming into the dental office, they know they have sensitive teeth. So do you have any advice for those people that claim they have sensitive teeth? whether it's too hot or cold, or even when they brush, they get some discomfort.
3: Yeah, so those patients, we have to see exactly why you said, where is it coming from? Is it because of how they brush? Is it it's sensitive. Can we switch them for a very soft toothbrush? Some patients don't even recognize that they're using very hard bristles and it's really wearing off the protection layer of the tooth. Mm. Or does the patient have a very acidic diet? Are they taking everything with lemon juice? Are they drinking orange juice all day? So the acidic always takes away as well the protection around the tooth and it can make them more sensitive. Or are they grinding their teeth at night and now they're wearing off? So we have to see what would be causing this sensitivity and how we can better address for the patient. So sometimes it's their habits we have to change or it could be caries, or it could be the roots are showing. And based on what it is, then we recommend a specific treatment.
2: Well, you mentioned foods such as high acidic foods, or you also mentioned with children, high sugar content in some of the foods they may be eating. So what can you tell us about diet and what role that plays in oral health?
3: Yeah, this is something that affects all of us because you're eating all day, either a snack or something that we want to sweet after eating food. So this has to be kept in mind that whenever you eat something with a lot of sugar, the bacteria in our mouth will transform this sugar in acids. So even if your diet's not reaching acidic foods, like we just said, the lemon, the orange juice, a lot of sugars will become acids. So on this way, it's how many people get caries. They're doing snacks all day and those snacks keep becoming acidic and acidic many times a day. So we always say if you love sugar, you have to not always limit the amount of sugar that you're going to eat, but also the frequency that you eat a day. I would much rather you to have a big dessert after lunch and a big dessert after dinner, then snacking all day something sweet in little portions all day.
2: Yeah, so, so otherwise, if you're doing that, you're just bathing your teeth in sugar. And yes, it becomes,
3: becomes acidic sure. all day. Sure. So those are the kids that tend to have more caries because you're not going to brush 20 times a day if you eat 20 gum snacks, right? Right, so right. You have to try to limit the consumption for the times that you know you're going to be able to brush after and limited times a day.
2: Well, we've talked a little bit about diet. What about genetics? Does that
3: play any role in oral health
2: or are we all self-sufficient?
3: So it definitely plays a role. And as we said before, some syndromes might cause you to don't have enough salivary flow. So Mm. now all these acidic substances that are touching your tooth, they're not going to be washed out. So this is for caries. But another big concerns are the gum disease, the inflammation, also known as periodontitis. So on this side also, we might have a patient that is more susceptible, and it can be due to genetics. So there are a couple of syndromes also that the patient will have reduced neutrophil counts, which are the white blood cells or the cells that cause the defense. So if you don't have the first line of defense, whenever a bacteria touches the gums, now the bacteria will just grow and grow, and you're going to have inflammation, you're going to have bleeding, you're going to have bone loss. So many patients that have a genetic disease that makes them slightly immunosuppressed will tend to have more gum disease. And so some of the symptoms
2: of gum disease is bleeding, I guess, whenever you're brushing. So you can have some bleeding, Some do you have loose teeth?
3: Exactly. So it starts with the bleeding. And okay. many patients, when they see the bleeding, even when they floss or when they brush, they will freak out and they will think, oh, I'm hurting my gums. I should avoid this area. I shouldn't brush there too much. I shouldn't floss it too much. But it's quite the opposite. It's bleeding because there is already bacteria there and already inflammation is setting in. So if you see a bleeding point, you have to brush and floss there more often to try to get rid of it. So the inflammation is just the first sign that we see as a bleeding. But the gums can become more poofy, they can become more red, you can see it. And then once you start losing bone, now your teeth might start to move. And you can see they might be having some mobility during the day if you're chewing some foods. And sometimes they move away from their positions. So when the patients come and they say, for some reason, my my teeth are moving out so much and they used to not be. And we take an x-ray and we see the bone levels are already 50% gone.
2: Oh my gosh. So
3: that means the disease has been going on for so long and it needs to be addressed, right? Oh,
2: absolutely.
3: So is twice a day
2: brushing... Can we just floss once a day? What's the recommendation now?
3: Yeah, so at least, and those recommendations are most based on cavities, which are the most common problem that we see. Sure. You should be able to brush twice a day and floss at least once a day. And this once a day for flossing, we usually recommend it to be done at night. And the reason being is when we sleep, our salivary flow reduces a lot. So remember, we have Mm. to have the saliva bathing and washing the teeth. If you go to sleep and there's food in between the teeth, that's the moment that the bacteria will grow and all the acidic environment will increase for eight to 10 hours, depending on how long you're sleeping, right? So ideally, if you are in a rush, make sure you floss before you go to bed. It's more important than in the morning, for example.
2: Well, that's important to know. So flossing at night. And what's your opinion on water flossers? My husband turned me on to one and I just love it. So I have to ask about that. I still floss with my floss, but then it feels so good to use a water flosser. Is that healthy or am I doing more damage?
3: No, this is great. And the water flossers have been getting better and better over the years. In the past, their pressure of water would not be good enough to remove food debris or bacteria from in the middle of your teeth. So nowadays they have become so strong that we really see that makes a difference. So if that is a patient that doesn't like to floss or has any like hand problem, arthritis, sometimes the patients cannot hold a very delicate flosser or if they're teeth or if they have any issue they cannot really floss, the water flosser is a great alternative. And for the patients that just want to be more motivated on something that they like, the water flosser is also a great alternative. Not necessarily think it replaces the true flossing because that is the physical contact of the floss going in between the teeth. But it helps. And on the patients that are not motivated, I would like them to floss with the water flosser rather than not do anything.
2: Okay, and that helps the gums as well because we talked a little bit about gum disease. So, does that help stimulate the gums and help? Yes, out? not
3: only that, but that is research showing that it goes up to three millimeters below the gum line. And okay. if you are healthy, this is exactly the space that you have three millimeters below the gum line. So, it really helps to remove all the bacteria. And one advantage is also you can do in the front and in the back of your teeth, not only in between. Because with right. the floss, you cannot do in the front and in the back. It just goes in between. So that's the reason that many patients also feel more clean and fresh after they do it. And yeah, I love it. I really it's like it. a
2: massage on my gums. It feels good. I think
3: <laughs> Well, and as we talk
2: about gum disease, I understand there might be a link between gum disease and heart health. So is that a proven fact that there is? I don't know if it's from the bacteria or what. What can you share with us about that?
3: Yes, there is an association that has been described between the gum disease and cardiac issues. And there are two reasons for that, two different mechanisms. So one is really the constant chronic inflammation that you have in your mouth. And we always say this comparison to the patient's so they realize how severe this could be if you have gum disease and you have inflammation in your entire mouth, if you collect the equivalence of all the lesions, the ulcerations that you would have for this gum disease throughout your mouth, the size of it would be the size of your hand closed. Oh so my. it is the same as you have open wounds in your leg or in your arm that's the same size of your hand closed. And when we make this comparison to the patient, then they realize, oh, wow, if I had this in my leg, I would definitely address it. So the constant state of inflammation will change the imbalance in your body of inflammatory markers, increasing many issues that you wouldn't have after all. So this is the first mechanism is the inflammation that is constantly there and it can overload your heart, it can get to your heart. But the second mechanism, and we see this a lot in patients that have um, heart valve replacements. If they come to the dentist, they have to take antibiotics one hour before their appointment. And the reason is the bacteria travel through the bloodstream. Once they come for a deep cleaning, once they come for a surgery, it goes through the blood and it can get to your heart. So we can locally affect if it's able to colonize the valve or any structure in the heart. And now you're going to have a much bigger problem. So in some patients, we even have to give them antibiotics.
2: Well, that sounds a little terrifying to me. So I have to ask you, if someone wants to have a really clean mouth, do you recommend using any mouthwashes or something to rinse with other than flossing and toothbrushing and what what else can we do
3: so this is a great conversation to have especially nowadays as i said that we know more about the bacteria we want to make sure we don't have the bad bacteria but we also want to show we keep the good bacteria there because they protect our teeth from the bad bacteria to proliferating a lot so usually we do not really recommend you to be in the mouth rinse for a long period or trying to sterilize your mouth because we want the good bacteria to be there. So many of these mouth rinses, they say, oh, it kill 99% of the bacteria. Well, do we really want to do that? Because in some patients, when they take antibiotics for so long and it kills all their bacteria, oh, then yes. they have a fungal infection. So now you might have candidiasis or any other problem elsewhere, even like lower GI tract you can have a fungal infection. So not necessarily we wanna wipe out all the bacteria, but some for instance, with that said, has high fluoride. So for the patients that need the fluoride supplement, if they don't have saliva, if they have any other systemic issue, that can be a good adjunct. Uh, but so without again... knowing the needs, I would Mm -hmm. not recommend something not specifically for the patient.
2: Okay, a healthy person doesn't need to use uh, a rinse after they brush. Okay, so other gum disease links with other health issues that we should be aware of.
3: Yeah, so the two big ones, and then it's the other way around, not the dental disease causing an issue, but it's a systemic issue causing the dental disease. The two big ones are smoking and the diabetes. So patients that smoke more than 10 cigarettes a day, they tend to have more periodontal disease or the gum disease, right? And the reason is, again, in their mouth, the nicotine and all the other toxic things that are in the cigarette and also on the vapings, they're very common right now they cause a local immunosuppression on your mouth. So now, as we said, one bacteria will get there and there is no host immune response. Like the patient cannot fight that infection. So now another reason to
2: not smoke and not vape, thank you. One more reason we can add that to.
3: Because we say smoking and the patients usually go to cigarettes and they say, oh, I don't do cigarettes. And then they leave the consult and they take out of the pocket of vaping and Uh. vaping all day (laughs) so we start to emphasize the vaping is also not a good idea and And you said diabetes yes the other one is the diabetes if it's not well controlled right so if the patient has the medication the patient has been taking and it knows the glucose levels is as normal as a patient that doesn't have diabetes great the patient is doing awesome but if the patient is taking too many sugary foods, patients not taking the medications as they should, they'll also have gum disease because it reduces your healing potential. You know, like the mm. most common is they are always scared if they have anything on their feet that can cause inflammation, oh, sure. that can cause mm. ulceration. They know that's not going to heal properly. And some patients, they get to a point that they have to amputate, like fingers or feet. Or toes, yes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So this is exactly what happens with the periodontal disease. Remember the size, again, of your palm, right. is the size of the ulceration that you have in your mouth, and it's not healing properly. So those patients also, they not respond so well to treatment. They can come to cleaning all they want. We can suggest surgeries. But if their body is not able to cause the proper healing process, they're not going to heal or benefit from the treatment.
4: Excuse the interruption. I know you're listening to Hightowers, Keeping the Well and Wealthy podcast. But if you have questions related to these or other wellness and financial issues, please reach out to your advisor or go to Hightoweradvisors.com to find a financial advisor near you. Now, back to Barbara.
2: Other, I just think about if someone doesn't have teeth, if they have implants or they have dentures, can they have gum disease or with implants, any teeth left, they could still have cavities, I guess. But what are the things we need to be aware of if we're using dentures or dental implants?
3: This is something that many patients don't realize, actually, so I'm glad to talk about it. (laughs) once they come with cavities or once they come with gum disease, sometimes they say, you know, just take them all out. Let's put a denture. Let's put implants. But if they lost their teeth because of a problem, except like the gum disease, like we're we're talking, they might also lose those implants, right? So the gum disease around the teeth also happen around the implants. So inflammation can cause Bone loss and the implants will be lost eventually. And you might not have caries because you don't have tooth structure on the implant because it's titanium or it's ceramic. So it's not the same material that we have in the tooth, but you can have the gum disease. And that's something that once you already lost your teeth, you don't want to lose your implants because what are you going to get next?
2: Yikes. Yes.
3: We already lost it. And for the patients that wear dentures, they can have fungal infections if they have the dentures, if they don't remove to clean, if especially in the roof of the mouth, the saliva cannot get there. And many patients, they're embarrassed to remove in front of their significant others. They don't want anybody to know that they have dentures. So they have to be extra careful with the cleaning of those dentures. You don't want to be low the denture to have inflamed guns because of fungal infection or anything like that.
2: Oh, my gosh. Well, let's start really young so we can start talking about children so the parents listening today can be aware so that their kids maybe won't end up with dental implants or dentures when they're older. So what age should children start seeing a dentist and what are some of the unique challenges of pediatric dentistry?
3: So the patients should go to the dentist at least six months after they have their first teeth, and that's about the time that they're going for one year old. Okay. So in this moment, they might have usually their bottom front teeth, which are the first ones to come out. And at that moment is the first time that you should visit the dentist to see one if everything is coming out okay. Two, if there is no other issues that need to be addressed, like a tongue tie that they're not being able to develop well. And three, this is the time that we're going to start to desensitize the patient to going to the dentist. We're going to get used to it from a young age. And then hopefully once they're adults, they're not going to be scared. They're not going to have anxiety. If they grow up with this, oh, I'm just going to the dentist. It's great. So we give them little toys at the end. We like do a very good positive reinforcement to make that a fun activity, a place that they like to go and they'll look forward to it. And this way we make sure every teeth that are coming up new, they're being followed up and they're not going to be scared or they're going to have anxiety once they grow up. That's the ideal word. Well, do you recommend that both children and
2: adults visit a dentist twice a year? Yes. So okay.
3: for adults, if they don't have periodontal disease or any active treatment, twice a year is okay. okay. If they are being treated for periodontal disease or if they have diabetes that is not controlled or if they have any of those disease that we talked about that makes them more prone to have either cavities or periodontal disease, the gum disease, then sometimes we recommend them to come every four months to make sure they get a professional cleaning and this could be enough to prevent caries or the gum disease.
2: Oh, okay, so let me ask you this. When I go into the dentist and they say there's some plaque, is there anything we can do to reduce the amount of plaque ourselves or do we just have to have it chiseled off whenever we go to get our teeth cleaned?
3: So the plaque is the bacteria that accumulates over the course of let's say 48 hours And then after that, they start to get hardened and hardened. And now they're stuck to the tooth. And that's what we call calculus. So at the moment that it's solidified and it's stuck to the tooth, at home, you're not going to be able to remove it. Mm. So the idea is you have to be brushing and flossing often in order to avoid this plaque to mineralize and become a hard tissue. And often we see this right, right in a lower teeth facing your tongue.
2: Mm-hmm. And the inside
3: lowers, yep. The inside lowers, it's where it accumulates more. And the reason is our salivary glands come out right there and mm. it has a high mineral content. So these minerals are now being incorporated in the plaque, which is the bacteria that are growing there. And that's the place that it solidifies more quickly. So if you have to be very careful about where to pay more attention doing the brushing and the flossing, that's usually the area that we see the most.
2: Would brushing more often, so if you brushed after lunch, would that help reduce the amount of plaque?
3: So the brushing and the diet are the two things that play a role. So the diet not only feeds you, but also it feeds the bacteria that are in your mouth, Right. So carbohydrates, sugars, it's what usually those bacteria will use, especially sucrose, to really grow and thrive. So if you reduce this and you also eat more foods with fibers, like apples, vegetables, you end up having a cleansing effect while you're eating. Because it mechanically removes those build-ups that you would not otherwise have Well, I have one other
2: question. If a child or a teenager goes in and for their cleaning, I understand that a dentist might be able to tell if there's an eating disorder with that child. Is that true?
3: Yes. Very often, the dentists are the first to recognize the signs of eating disorders, specifically the ones that the patient will eat something and then they'll secretly go and try to throw up out of what they ate because once it reaches their stomach, it becomes very acidic. So if you do this cycle very often, what happens is the inside surface of your teeth. So the one facing towards your tongue and your roof of the mouth, they start to have what we call erosion because of the acid content going many times a day, every day into that area. So when we see those patients, we see that the inside surface of the teeth tend to be very reduced in its structure because of the acid have been wearing off. It tends to be more yellow because it can also get pigmentation for this food and the acids for the stomach. And it tends to not have any features that it would have any like rugae that it would have, it would be like a very flat and polished surface. Ah, uh, very because smooth because of the okay. acid coming in all the time. So often and then,
2: does a dentist type... typically does a dentist then typically go out and have a discussion with the parent if they see that is occurring?
3: Yeah, so it depends on the age of the patient. If the patient goes in with the parent and the parent is the guardian sign for the treatment of the patient, then you have to disclose to the parent. If the patient is older and it's signing its own treatment plan, then you discuss with the patient itself. And you would be surprised that we see this a lot in women that are under their 20s, late 20s, mm-hmm. because it's the body image that many people see nowadays that they want to be skinnier and skinnier. And we have to be the ones bringing this up in a very comforting way for those patients because we don't want them to feel judged. We want them to feel that we can help and we see what's going on. And then we try to start this discussion with the patient.
2: Gosh, part dentist, part therapist, huh?
3: Pretty (laughs) tough. (laughs) Well, We we um... do recommend the therapy though, like if seen needed. And also we increase the fluoride content for those patients to try to reduce a little bit of this erosion.
2: Oh, so you do have some help you can give them along the way as well. Now you've mentioned caries and I've called them cavities and I know they've changed what the filling that's been used over time. How has that changed and what is currently being used?
3: Yeah, so new technologies, right? When we started the podcast, we talk about the digital dentistry and everything being done digital. Um, Nowadays, we can even make those in the office, they can be milled out of a block of zirconia. They can be milled out of a block of ceramic. So in the past, the majority of those fillings and crowns would be metal-based because it was why it was more accessible. And it was what it was most useful long-term because it's very rigid and you're chewing on it every day. So the metallic ones that we see a lot of patients still haven't, They used to be very often used because the white ones, the composite materials, they're not as strong. So we wouldn't recommend it in the back teeth because you're chewing on them. But we did use them a lot in the front teeth because it's a more static area.
2: Yeah, it's prettier. But
3: but nowadays, the technology developed in a way that those materials became very strong as well. So we are able to provide all white materials, either for the back teeth or for the front teeth.
2: Well, speaking of white, the and what is that? It's porcelain or what's the product?
3: It's, yeah, so it's a kind of ceramic, ceramic. and we're going to have many different ones. So we have like zirconia or we have a glass ceramic and they will vary depend also on how hard you need them to be. If you're doing a bridge and it's two teeth combined and the mid part is floating, we need something very hard. So, zirconia is what it's closing hardness as we would have for the metal. But if you're yeah. doing a front tooth and you only want it to be perfectly transparent, merging with your other teeth, then we use a different kind of ceramic that doesn't need to be so strong, but it's more statically pleasing for the patient.
2: Well, we're talking about aesthetically pleasing. So I want to talk a little bit about cosmetic dentistry. So what do you think about at-home whitening products? What's your opinion?
3: So I think they're great, but they have to be very well recommended by a dentist to begin with because sometimes you think your teeth are just yellow and you can just whiten them, but you might have a bigger problem going on that needs to be addressed. Or sometimes you already have some existing feelings and you buy that home product, which is just going to make your tooth look whiter, but not the feelings. So now you might end up with one tooth much darker than all others because it was a crown and you didn't even remember that it was a crown. Oh, yeah. Or you had feelings in different portions of your teeth and they're not going to get whiter. So This has to be well coordinated with your dentist because you might have to change the existing feelings that you have. You might have to change the existing crowns that you have. So now it's a lot that you have to take into consideration other than just, oh, I saw this pharmacy. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to try it. And then something else is very often you need a personalized tray for your bite, for the perfect shape of your teeth. And this can only be done well uh, by a dentist. So what we see a lot, if you look looking to the reviews of those like online that you can buy or in the pharmacy is, oh no, my gums are also becoming white. They're getting oh. burned. That's either you're using too much product or you need a personalized tray that would just be perfect for your teeth. And you're not going to have any extra material reaching the gums. And this is what we see a lot. And sometimes the patients come to the office. Already with this issue, and they did it so often that it can cause necrosis, like you can lose the tissue there. So a problem that it was very easy to resolve, just a little whitening. Now you might end up needing gum surgery.
2: Oh my gosh!
3: So it has to be. I love the product, but it has to be well recommended, and you have to use it with an assistant of a professional.
2: Well, and that's good for our listeners to learn about self whitening. Yeah because I don't want to do any damage personally to my gums. And I don't think anyone out there wants to either. Dental surgery sounds, gum surgery sounds unpleasant. Well, and speaking of other types of surgery, if someone chooses to have a dental implant, well, first of all, an implant versus an apparatus like bridges or dentures, how do you choose what's appropriate for someone?
3: So many things to consider, including aesthetics, how much the patient really cares about the aesthetics, he wants to be perfect, on how much the patient's like, you know, I just want to chew. I have been through enough. I don't want to do more surgeries. I lost those teeth, let's say, in a car accident. It was already too traumatizing. I just want to be able to chew again. So first, consider the patient sitting in front of you. What are their chief complaints? What are they looking for? And then if they say, oh, I would love to have an implant done. I don't want to be removing anything. I don't want to have my tooth shaved to put a bridge. So then we start to see Do the patient have bone enough to place the implant? because we care about how it looks when his smile. But the implant itself is the screw that goes into the bone. So we need to have a plan to make sure you have the bone or we can build the bone again. And some patients, they might want the bridge work, which is what we said, we make a preparation in a tooth next to it, in a tooth on the other side of the space. And now you have a floating tooth that is your missing teeth that we are replacing. But if both of your teeth neighbor to it, they're perfect. They don't have a feeling, they don't have a crown, they don't have anything. We usually advise against it because you're going to be shaving perfectly healthy teeth oh, to replace okay. one single tooth that you could do with an implant. With an
2: implant. Got and
3: it. if the patient has a lot of missing teeth, now we are looking into either many bridges or something that can be removable. So the removal of partial dentures. So they replace many teeth without having to fully shave the teeth next to it. But the downside, it's removable. So sometimes the patients don't want to go through a lot or they have financial constraints or they just want to be done with it. Or it's the interim phase. We say we have a lot of implants to be placed, but it will take four months for them to heal. What are you going to use in this meantime? You cannot go around four months without using anything. So in this case, we do recommend something removable. That you can have, and you can have your function. You can have the statics,
2: but it's while you are working
3: on the implants. While implants are
2: integrating in the bone. Wow, so that is a longer process. Well, what about? Do you run into? I know you must TMJ problems with jaw issues or someone grinding their teeth. How do you help someone out with that?
3: Yes. So this became very common during the pandemic. People were so stressed, they start to grind their teeth more without even noticing. They start to have clenching during the day because they're so stressed of everything going on. And what we saw as a result was people coming with the TMJ pain, which is the pain right where your jaw connects near your ears. So some people don't even know that this is TMJ. They think it's Headache, they think it's something on their ears. So, we have to be able to isolate all the factors and realize what it's coming from. And sometimes they clench so hard during the day that we start to see some teeth breaking. So, the patients came back after the pandemic and they have broken tooth or they have broken feelings and restorations or crowns because they have been clenching so much. So, first thing is. We have to see what it's causing, if the patient is stressed, what they can do to alleviate that. But from our side, there are many night guards that we use. There are appliances that you use either during your day, if you're clenching during the day, or when you go to bed to sleep to make sure you're not grinding the teeth while you sleep. And you put that before you go to bed, and that will, one, protect your teeth so you're not grinding them away. And two, it can help to stabilize your jaw in a position that it's not going to hurt as much.
2: And be more comfortable.
3: And be more comfortable, yes. So I myself use one. I'm a stressed out person. I have a night guard. I put it every night and I love it. I feel comfortable with it. I feel like my teeth are spaced up a little bit. And if I don't use it, I wake up with headache and the headaches caused by TMJ usually, as we said, it hurts near the ears and on the side of the heads, okay. because the muscles, they're right there. And those muscles are tense all the time.
2: Well, I wear retainers every night, so I guess that keeps me from grinding. <laughs> but Martina, you have offered us more than bite-sized advice today on oral health. So just to kind of capture a few of the tips you shared, we need to keep brushing twice daily and floss at least once a day, preferably at night visiting our dentist twice a year for cleaning, being aware of sensitive gums, bleeding or loose teeth, and being cautious at, at home whitening products. And gosh, there's just so much more we could talk about today. I'm sorry, we're running out of time. But I have one more question for you before Eric joins us. And that is how do you keep your well and wealthy?
3: Well, recently, I got into latte art. And it's something that It makes the time goes by, and I think it's fun. I make all this fun with oat milk. I made all this fun with almond milk. And I just try to draw new things on my coffee every morning. Oh,
2: that's so fun. I saw some of the photos. It's very pretty. (laughs) You're getting to be quite talented, I must say. We'll have to get together when I'm back home in Pittsburgh, and we can... Get together and you can teach me how to do that.
3: <laughs> I'll make one for you. The best that would be fun. at the end, you can drink it. So <laughs> I have this one and then I can drink enjoy. It. It's amazing. Yes.
2: Absolutely. Well, that's a great idea. Thank you for sharing. And Eric, are you chomping at the bit to ask Martina anything about oral health?
1: Oh, I do. I have two questions that came up during the conversation. First one is this you were talking about fluoridated water early on in the conversation. My wife grew up in a very small town and her and her sister and her brother all had extremely strong teeth, no cavities, even through her adulthood, she has not had cavity, but their teeth were stained. There was a lot of browning on the teeth and we were told that it was because of too much fluoride. Uh, Luckily in her thirties, we had a great dentist who said, ah, now we can remove that, those stains and they were able to do that. But is there any other side effects from over fluoride over-fluoridated water? I am not. I know I'm not saying that correctly, but getting too much fluoride, is there any other issues besides that?
3: This is an absolutely great question. In some places, you're going to have more fluoride than you need. And then what happens is if you're drinking that during the time that your teeth are developing, mm-hmm. the outer surface are not going to develop properly because there's just too much fluoride contact in it. And you might have what we call like pitting on the enamel which is the outer layer and these pitting are like tiny holes that during your life because you're eating and you're drinking like coffee and coke things like that they become pigmented more and more mm-hmm. so that's why we see it can get dark for those patients and usually either you have to polish them depending on how severe those pitting spots are or you might have to get veneers from them so other than this, there's not too much that happen. but for chronic use, but for acute use, I would say, let's say a young patient, like very infant, you're brushing their teeth, you're using a fluoride toothpaste, and it's those toothpaste that has like bubblegum flavor, or it has like strawberry flavor. And then before you realize, your kid went and drank the whole tube of toothpaste. <laughs> oh, happens. gosh. So whenever you have that, remember that this is a acute in, acute like drinking, acute exposure to the mm-hmm. fluoride. And what happens is you have to deal with it because it can cause vomit and it mm-hmm. can cause nausea on the patient. So you can take the patient to the hospital and they usually give something with a lot of calcium for the patient. So milk, yogurt, because as we just said, the fluoride will bind to your teeth because it has calcium to it. But in the tummy, if it's already there, you want to give foods that is going to bind to it and it's going to go away.
5: Gotcha. So
3: this is something that we have to pay attention. And I know there's a lot of research trying to link it to something else, the fluoride. So like osteoporosis hasn't been proved, even though there's some research trying to point that way. It would have to be a lot. You would have to drink gallons of gallons of very high <laughs> fluoride every day. And there is one group I think pointing towards like arches or like something in your pituitary gland. Nothing of those have been proved. So I know that I have patients that come in and they say, oh, I don't want to take fluoride toothpaste. It's not good for me. But then they're drinking black tea that has a lot of fluoride content. Mm. So I always make this comparison so they realize the fluoride is in a lot of other things that you don't realize, and they're actually good for your teeth. So wow. everything else, yes. it's not scientifically proven.
2: Okay. Well, we have a lot of podcast notes, Eric, that I'm going to be able to post from the CDC.gov oral health and mouthhealthy.org. Mouth so there are recommendations there as well as the ADA.org. There are plenty of things we can share with our audience. And you can read more about Dr. Martina Bertolini under the dental.pit.edu website. And just look her up as Martina Bertolini. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your knowledge. And it's been a great time learning more every time we think we know enough it's never enough. So we just find out more and more to learn about our
3: oral health. So thank you. Well, thanks so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. I'm happy I could help you a little bit.
1: Thanks. Absolutely. Martina, I just want to echo what she said. Thank you so much for being on the show. And of course, Barbara, thank you so much for facilitating this show and bringing great guests to the audience. And our last thank you goes to you, of course, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Keeping the Well in Wealthy with Barbara Archer. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Barbara comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask you to share the podcast, rate it, and leave a review, as this actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Hightower, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to go out in the world and make a difference. And we'll see you next time.
0: Thank you for listening to Keeping the Well in Wealthy with Barbara Archer, sponsored by Hightower. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Hightower Wealth Advisors. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.
4: Hightower Wealth Advisors is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors, LLC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Some investment professionals may also be registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA, and SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is neither indicative nor a guarantee of future results. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data or other information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other data or information contained in this presentation is provided as general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. Hightower Wealth Advisors and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates make no representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions or results obtained from the use of this information. Hightower Wealth Advisors and Hightower Advisors LLC assume no liability for any action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to this information. The information is provided as of the date referenced in the document. Such data and other information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed herein are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Tower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. This material is not intended or written to provide and should not be relied upon or used as a substitute for tax or legal advice. Information contained herein does not consider an individual's or entity's specific circumstances or applicable governing law, which may vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction and be subject to change. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor for related questions.